Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,480. Do what's right for the business. Make sure that you're focused and the business will take care of you. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm revved up and so excited to share with you today a very special guest who's uh, somebody you may know of. He's been in the racing industry for a long time, Dan Davis. Dan Davis has spent over 40 years of technical process and business experience in the automotive and electronics industry. He retired as the director of Ford Racing Technology, and before that, his career spanned a wide base in the automotive sector. He spent time at General Motors as a project engineer. He was a chief steward for the IndyCar Series, president and CEO of the Miller Motorsport Park, and held numerous positions with Ford, including procurement, manufacturing, strategic business, advanced powertrain production, engineering, and a whole lot more. While at Ford, he served on the board of directors for three different companies as well. And guess what? Dan is going to be speaking this year at the 25th Annual Armadillo Racing Seminar, which takes place February 8th in Tacoma, Washington. You can learn a lot more about this, and you can attend if you go to armadilloracing.com. We'll be back in just a minute to say hello to Dan, but first, a word from our valued sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah! I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Hey, Cars Yeah race fans. Andy Collins, owner of Armadillo Racing, is a past guest here on Cars Yeah. Last year, I was honored to be a speaker at his high-performance racing seminar. And having attended, I can tell you it's an invaluable learning experience if you love to race. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Armadillo's high-performance racing seminars, and it takes place Saturday, February 8th in Tacoma, Washington. For your seminar fee, you'll spend a day with four of racing's premier professionals on how to improve your driving and much, much more. This year's outstanding speaker lineup include Jacques Delari, Ph.D., world-renowned high-performance driving and life coach, Jeff Braun, a race engineer with a history at Core Racing and IMSA, Ross Bentley, top driving coach, author of world-renowned Speed Secrets and a fellow podcaster, and Dan Davis, retired director of motorsports, 
for Ford Motor Company. All of these incredible racing experts are past guests here on Cars Yeah. As an added bonus for Cars Yeah listeners, you'll get to join these speakers at the Friday night reception at the incredible LeMay Car Museum for free. That's right. It's a $50 value if you sign up by January 15th. What a deal. Go to Armadillo Racing's website and register. That's armadilloracing.com. Hey, Dan, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready, Mark. Can't wait. Always ready, that's for sure. So before we jump into the questions here, Dan, tell our listeners, it's hard to tell our listeners a little bit about you because, my gosh, your career spans so much time in so many things. But kind of give us a little rundown of what you've done and uh, maybe a little bit of what you're doing now in uh, this wonderful world of retirement, which hasn't seemed to slow you down. Well, the retirement, and I will go back to the beginning a little bit, but the retirement right now is kind of interesting because I'm consulting with some different people. And in some cases, I can tell you what I'm doing, some I can't. But with, uh, I will say with Roger Penske just buying IndyCar and the, uh, the Indy track and so forth, I'm working on uh, maybe doing some things with him to improve IndyCar a little bit. So it's pretty exciting. We're, uh, we're going to meet with him next, next month. And uh, so that's what I'm doing right now, taking up my time. Going back in time, uh, I really wasn't a car guy to start with. I really uh, I went to uh, high school and thought about wanting to be in electronics. And uh, so I went to General Motors Institute to work in electronics. I did a co-op with Delco Electronics. So um, I started with that. But, of course, going to General Motors Institute, uh, nothing but cars there, nothing but muscle cars. And so I was there four years. And I'm telling you, every GM muscle car you can think of, old, new, so on. Now, this is back in the 70s, but uh, they were there. And all my buddies had those kind of cars. And so I got infected with the car business. Um, spent quite a bit of time. I spent nine years with General Motors, worked on anti-skid brake systems, some other things. Ford recruited me to work on electronic engine controls. Since I was with Delco Electronics, had a broad background in that, I had actually put a, uh, a unit with anti-skid braking into production. So I was really steeped in how do you make things and, and uh, a manufacturing facility. So Ford recruited me. I started working on electronic engine controls, and that just kept going. They kept moving me around at Ford. Uh, at one point, I had 15 different jobs in 16 years. I worked on trip minders. I know. I worked on trip minders. I worked on all kinds of stuff, six-film ignition, dot, 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 dot. One day, I woke up, and I had my dream job, which was, uh, all of the interior components of every car and truck at Ford, with the exception of seats and powertrains. So I had bumpers, lights, door panels, instrument clusters, radios, all that. 4,500 engineers, I was in heaven. And uh, that lasted one year. And they knocked on my door and said, would you please come work in purchasing because we got some things we'd like you to, to help us with. So that led me to purchasing, led me to quality. And then a uh, year into quality, they said, how about working on the racing program? We got a problem over there, which I can describe to you if you like. And, uh, that finished out my career with Ford. So a lot of different things, a lot of experience, pretty lucky to work with uh, some of the top people in the industry because I worked on projects that were, you know, real important. No doubt. I, it's an amazing career and I'm so excited that Andy Collins got us together. So I could share some of your story with my listeners. Tell us maybe one little thing that most people don't know about you. Well, I mean, I've been at Ford for so long, uh, no one knew I started with General Motors. So at 18 yeah. years, you know, 18 years old, uh, graduated from high school and, 
and went to work for General Motors. So uh, that went on for nine years. So uh, being at Ford and being associated with Ford Racing, I mean, when I go to a racetrack anymore, you know, I've got this Ford brand on my forehead, and uh, everybody <laughs> figures, uh, you know, he's the Ford guy. I mean, I, I met, I ran into Lanigan the other day, and uh, he's the one of the guys that run, owns, uh, I guess he's with uh, Ray Hall nowadays. But he's, oh, yeah, that's right. You're the Ford guy. So, the Ford anyway, guy. Yeah. I'm the Ford guy. Yep. <laughs> So you got the blue oval on the forehead. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's an amazing career and a life that you've had. I want to start by asking you for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your successful career over time. It's a nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Dan, grab the wheel. I don't really have a mantra per se. I guess what I would tell you and all your listeners is that going through my career, I I saw so many people that seemed to make decisions that made them look good or, or whatever, advance themselves as opposed to advancing the business they're in. And my, my mantra was always do what's right for the business, make sure that's your focus, and the business will take care of you. And that really worked for me. And I so many people I run into then that just kind of, I would, I would consider them selfish. And uh, so they're kind of pushing on what makes me look good and rather than what makes the business look good. And I did it the other way around and it was pretty successful. Well, obviously it worked for you. And, you know, I never have worked in a big company like Ford where there's a lot of ladder climbing going on and I'm sure a lot of politics and all sorts of things. It happens in all sorts of big companies. But you see those rising stars, those people that make it and stay there and keep getting put in responsible positions like you did. Is it your finding that folks that think like you think that are always thinking about the business and about the customer uh, are the ones that end up moving up and the other ones typically don't or I, yeah, <laughs> it's the other I, way around? No, no, I think you're right. And what I saw was the, the ones that put the business first even if it meant that they were sort of left behind a little bit or disadvantaged, number one. So, you know, those people were usually got ahead. And secondly, the ones that volunteered to do the hard stuff or the extra stuff or whatever, in other words, you know, yeah. project comes along and a little bit, you know, a little bit of extra effort or volunteering to do some things or whatever and stretching, you know, sticking your neck out a bit. So the, the ones that took risk and put the business first, pretty much got ahead. Now, every once in a while, you get, you know, the outlier where some somebody that's, a, you know, sort of a brown noser kind of person, you know, gets ahead. But, but in general, they get what they deserve in the long run. And the ones that really are pushing the business get ahead. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you kind of always hear about the, the people that work hard or, and that do those things, and then they kind of get left behind because the people that know the politics weave through that ladder, but I'm glad to hear that may not be the case. As I've said, I didn't work in big companies like that. So I worked in small companies where I wore so many dang hats, it rubbed all the hair off my head. So uh, at least that's at least that's the excuse that I use. Well, I'm going to come back to your time at Ford because you spent so much time there and I love racing. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I'd love for you to start here to talk a little bit about this consulting business you're doing because so many people retire and the concept of retirement is you go off and play golf or lay on a beach. And I know you're not that kind of guy. You told me in our pre-so chat that you never even sat at your desk. You were always standing, always moving. I tell you, just for your listeners, for me to catch up with Dan to get him on the show has been a challenge. 
but he's here today. So I've got him. Uh, I'm sure he's standing by now, but I've got, I've got him in his seat a little bit. But let's look at 2020, this new year. I can't believe it's a new decade already. Our lives are flying by. Now, you mentioned Penske a little bit, and I know there's some of the things you're doing you can't talk about, but what is you excited and fired up in this so-called retirement period in your consulting business? Well, I mean, I, I really opened. Uh, when I left IndyCar uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the thought was that uh, they really wanted me to move from the uh, chief steward position, which... Uh, when I started there, it was kind of messed up a little bit. So that got all straightened out, and they wanted me move me into more of the technology side of things and help try to get another engine manufacturer. And I was very open to that, but it just never really worked out. And so for the last couple of years, I've been doing home projects and working on my daughter's, uh, remodeling my daughter's house and a bunch of stuff that retirees like to avoid, but I love it. I like working with my hands. I like to make stuff. And I am an A-type personality, so I'm just go, go, go. In the meantime, I've got a couple business partners, and we've we've worked on some things, uh, some sponsorship for racing teams. Right at the moment, I'm I'm working with uh, uh, one of my friends that's, that's working on a motorsports program for disabled veterans, and uh, it's called uh, Resilience Racing. And I'm working with him, and we're at, we're actually talking to some former Green Berets and other you know really accomplished uh, athletes that have been hurt in uh, combat, you know, missing legs or arms or this or that. And we're trying to get a program together that will get some sponsors in there to to spend some money on getting hand controls and some other things at race cars, so that these uh, returning veterans have something to look forward to. And uh, so I'm pushing yeah. on that really hard. You know, and then that's cool. And I'll tell you something. I'd love to have uh, maybe one of your business partners on the show here to share more about that because I've had several guests here who have learned the secret sauce to life through helping other people, actually many guests, and in many cases helping uh, our veterans who've come back that have challenges, physical challenges because of being injured or even PTSD, depending on how that affects them. So I'd love to learn more about that. But I'll tell you, Dan, that is. That is the secret to retirement is find ways to help other people. Uh, that will keep you fresh and alert. And I know you're the kind of guy that doesn't like to sit around. Let me go back in time a little bit here and ask you, when did you realize that working in the automotive industry and around all these different facets of that industry was the right thing for you to do? I mean, was it when you're at GM, all of a sudden it clicked in your head and you went, man, this is what I want to be? As a teenager... Uh, and even earlier, than, I mean, I was into mechanical things and I, you know, I got a rector set at six years old and, uh, and, uh, you know, my mother tells me that I was sticking screwdrivers in electrical outlets and I used to take, oh, yeah, just doing, you know, just a kid, <laughs> I've taken TVs apart and trying to make them work and this and that. So, you know, I went through high school and I did okay in high school with math and all the sciences and everything. And, it's, and then I thought, well, I'll be a mechanical engineer or electronic engineer, something like that. Thought I was going to go to the University of Michigan, which my father and grandfather had both gone to, and uh, they were mechanical engineers. But then the recruiter for General Motors Institute came in and talked about the co-op program and the fact that I could actually work in a plant at 18 years of old or work in a plant environment and uh, learn the ropes that way. And I just loved electronics. I used to build my own little crystal radios and all that. And I thought, you know what? I'm died and gone to heaven if I can work for the largest company in the world at the time, General Motors, and work in electronics at their electronics division and just, you know, just just keep doing that stuff. So I was lucky enough to get, they brought me in and uh, they had 10 openings and I was number 10, thank goodness. 
and started there. And so, and they had just, uh, Mark, they had a fantastic program at, at GMI at the time where you co-op, so you worked for six weeks, and then you went to school for six weeks, back and forth all year long. And while I was at work, I was in production engineering, I was in design engineering, I was in quality, I was in safety, I was in the suggestion program. I mean, they put me everywhere. And it's like you get a fundamental base of what the business is like. And uh, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't great. get any better than that, you know, because you're immersed in the thing, in a, in a really progressive place. I mean, Duck Electronics at the time made their own semiconductors. They made the radios. I mean, they, they were really vertically integrated. And uh, yeah. so I just loved it. I'm a technical guy. You know, I like to solve problems. And, you know, that's all that was. Are the manufacturers still doing that kind of program? Because it sounds like a wonderful thing for for teenagers out of high school who think they have the intellect to work in that, but also providing hands-on with the education. I mean, it's it's like the old internships in a way. It is like the old interns. It was perfect, and they paid me to do it. So I actually put myself through school because, uh, you know, I, I worked on, you know, in Delco there. I worked enough to pay for the project. It's gone down. I mean, uh, I don't see as much of it as I used to. I think GM was pretty rare at the time, and uh, they're not doing much of that anymore. They've changed. Uh, GM doesn't own that facility anymore. So it's changed, and they don't. there doesn't seem to be the seriousness of developing people by these companies as it used to be. I mean, it, it was the point where all the officers of General Motors basically went through GMI. I mean, it was like all of them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so... Uh, you know, I mean, man, you got a great path if you wanted, you know, wanted to work that way. Ah, uh, it's too bad that that we're not seeing that. I think it's a time now is a ripe time to do that. Uh, when you think about people like Mike Rowe and others who are really pushing, and I work with uh, some groups, uh, Tech Force, and uh, people like Lynn St. James and others who are trying to find avenues for young people to work in the automotive industry because. I mean, we're seeing a decline in uh, people working in those types of fields and roles. And I'm not talking about just line workers who are putting cars together. There's so many other pieces of it, and especially with technology. Uh, you'd wish that these manufacturers are putting those systems in place. I sure hope they are. I don't know if, if those listeners out there do know about it. You're right. I mean, the thing is, if you go have like 20 or 30 students going to school while they're working, you get a good sense of, you know, are they capable? Are they, you know, what's their right. work ethic? You know, on and on and on. Weed them out before you even hire them as a graduate. Going to GMI, and I know you want to move on, but when I first walked in the door, they said, okay, line up here, kind of like look left. And look right. Yeah. When you're done, both of those are gone. You know, there's only one third is going to make it through. So it's like, it was competitive. Anyway, go. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, let me talk about, or have you talk a little bit about your time at Ford Racing. You did so many different things, or even Ford for that matter. But if you had to pick one thing that was your favorite while you were at Ford, what was that? Boy, there were just a, there's a couple that, um, that stand out to me. And I did do a lot of, a lot of really, fun stuff. I mean, for a while there, uh, when I, I was assigned back in the early 90s to the uh, Benetton Formula One team, so I had I had a really good time with that. At the time I was running, I was at the electronics division of Ford, I was running a strategic business unit that had about half a billion in, in sales a year, and so we did all the engineering and product design and, and customer react stuff and all that, but I also had this group of engineers, 35 engineers working on the Benetton Formula One program. And this was in 1992. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, you know, and I wasn't a racer. I wasn't in racing. I hadn't done any racing. I didn't go to races. I just, you know, that wasn't my thing. Uh, but all of a sudden I'm thrown in the top drawer formula one environment. And, uh, what a, what a fire hose, uh, experience because, uh, (laughs) I'm working with Flavio Briatore and I'm working with Michael Schumacher and uh, all these guys. And, uh, wow. So we were putting electronics on this car and, and uh, at the time, uh, Ford Electronics was the, we did all of it. We did all the systems, like everything. And yeah. uh, so in 94, we actually raced with uh, fully active suspension, uh, full throttle control, transmission control, of course, engine controls, everything but anti-skid braking was, we controlled electronically. And there were no springs on the car, no, uh, I mean, uh, no shocks, no springs, no roll bars, no nothing. It was 100% electronic. And, uh, that was a really, really fun project. You know, there'll never be another one like that. I don't think uh, on the surface of the earth because uh, it's not, it's outlawed nowadays. It's just different nowadays, but at the time, a uh, pretty neat project. And we, and we did win a world, world championship. So I don't, well, I don't yeah. think that could, yeah, I don't think that could be repeated ever. And uh, I, that was something as a technical nut that likes electronics and control systems. Market just been getting better. Well, I can't imagine working with two incredibly, extremely different personalities with Michael Schumacher and Flavio. I mean, I don't even know where to start to ask this question, but how do you maybe in the briefest way you can describe those two characters? Well, Flavio was, uh, I mean, he was a businessman and he, you know, owned the team and had Benetton as a fantastic sponsor, spending a whole bunch of money. And, and, and Formula One is, uh, I'll say the word cutthroat because it is, it was cutthroat. I mean, it's like if you, uh, had to step on your neighbor to beat him, you stepped on. So he brought the resource. He had the connections. And so he got the sponsor, the money, and then he hired the right people. So Ross Braun was, uh, was the, uh, general yeah, manager of the one. deal. Oh yeah. Ross yeah. is the general manager. We had, uh, of course, Michael was a driver. So Flavio's the guy that puts it all together, big picture, interfaces with, uh, of course, the the, uh, the upper management of the of the series and that sort of stuff. And then now Schumacher this is a different animal. This guy it was was the most talented driver developer person I've ever met. I mean that he. Uh, he did everything right, everything you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, the results showed it. I mean, physically, he was unbelievable. Mentally, he's unbelievable. His, uh, his ability to remember what went on and how to set up the car and how to develop the car and all those things is just incredible. And, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would watch, um, the qualifying going on. And, uh, and of course, Ross Brown was just, a, he was a strategic mastermind. But in Formula One, with the qualifying in those days, everybody went out and you settle out. And then you wait for everybody to get the track clean and you get going and you get going. And you waited until like the last 30 seconds before the thing shut down. And then, bam, you go out and put your fastest lap uh, in place. And I can't tell you how many times we're waiting until the last minute. Michael's like fourth or fifth or something like that. He's got one shot at, you know, pole. And he's out there, bam, on pole. And he's the last it guy in the track. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, yeah. what, a, what a driver, you know, and what happened to him, of course, is a shame. But uh, I consider him a friend and uh, probably the greatest driver I've ever. Yeah. Incredible guy. I I got to sit across from him at a lunch once when the, the first uh, Formula One race came to Indianapolis. 
and I had a backstage kind of pit pass through a, a tool line that I was importing at the time and got into their room and actually sat across from him and ate a meal. And I, I don't even remember what was said because I was, I think I was so starstruck by well, just yeah. listening to him speak, you know, it's just ah, it, incredible. It, I'll tell you, Mark, he was shy. He's actually a shy person. And so he didn't like doing those appearances. I mean, you had to make him do it and uh, he would rather not do them and that sort of thing. Uh, And it's like Senna. Senna was even shyer than Schumacher. I mean, Senna didn't want to talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to meet him and talk to him a little bit. But, man, he was just he was tough to get to know. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of those guys are. They get paraded around like circus clowns so often. Well, let's take a short break, uh, insert a couple ad spots here. Say hello and thank you to our sponsors. We'll be right back. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYA and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts? around the globe, I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at com. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know, everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. All right, Dan, we are back. I would love for you to share a huge challenge, even a big failure that you've faced along the way in your career. And and I don't bring this up to dwell up any bad things. It's more important to share these stories with others that might be going through similar situations so that they can learn. So walk us through one of those times in your life. Tell us what the learning experience was so that you could come out in a positive way on the other side. Okay. uh, In trying to think about that, and boy, just ran into a 
awful lot of different challenges, but, but the oh, one together, bad. well, <laughs> yeah. and, and, every day, <laughs> well, every day. And I could talk about being in quality where Ford's quality, especially their initial quality was not very good. And so, uh, I was asked to run the quality office, uh, worldwide. Oh, wow. So I've yeah. got, you know, quality worldwide It's the last job in the world I ever would want or anybody would want because nobody likes somebody that works in quality. Uh, because, of course, they're always because, saying no to everybody. Well, you're just you're, you're pointing out everybody's deficiencies. Uh, you know, it's there like, you go. Uh, okay, you know, you really didn't do this well, or you can't put that together right, or your workers are messed up, or you know, whatever. So if you're working for right. you're hated. And so yeah. I got assigned this job to be hated. And uh, at the time, <laughs> to be hated. Yeah. Did it say that on your business card? <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty much. So you know, I've got this job, and every Wednesday morning. For four hours, we had a meeting with the head of North American operations. Uh, It was Jack Nasser at the time. And uh, we had this meeting for four hours and we would go talk about quality and how are we going to improve it and that sort of thing. And we would go in and we'd look at, okay, we're going to look at the tourist this time. And then the next time we're going to look at an F-150 and then maybe we're going to work on a, look at a contour or whatever. So the story I'll share with, uh, with the listeners had to do with the Mustang. And the Mustang was built in Dearborn, and, and it had a, just a, a number of problems. And the squeaks and rattles were, like, just the number one issue. I mean, people would get a brand-new Mustang, and it's out squeaking, rattling, banging, and making all kinds of noise. And that would seem to a customer to mean that the product's deficient because it just makes so much noise. Now, it's not going to fall apart or anything, but, uh, you know, it's just annoying and, and so forth. So we do the Mustang and we have this four hour meeting and uh, beforehand, of course, I went through all the the indicators and what's, you know, you do your job and figure out what's happening. Well, in this case, what was happening was basically that the tools that stamped the, the bodies, the unibody, all those tools were basically worn out and nobody wanted to face up to that. And so you basically, when your tools are worn out, everything's moving around. The instrument panels don't want to fit. Every, nothing wants to go together right when the tools are worn out because the stuff you stamp, you know, isn't consistent. And when it's not consistent, it just doesn't go together right. So, so it got to the point where I knew what was wrong. And that is that the dies are worn out and it was going to cost just a ton of money to fix these dies. So we get in the meeting and we're going on and on and on and everybody's walking around the problem and no one really wants to say anything about it. Finally, I just had enough and said, look, you know, we're really going to have to address the variability going on and it really has to do with the dyes aren't right. So I've got a vice president of body engineering staring me in the face. He's ready to kill me because I'm basically saying that his organization isn't getting the job done and you know needs needs tools fixed. And um so it comes up and I made the I made the I said the story and you know the room gets quiet and it was like ugly. And the poor and the guy who ran body and assembly is he, by now he went from red to purple. Uh because yeah. you, you just yeah. don't do that in a big I mean there's there are a hundred people in this room and uh yeah. from everywhere. And uh so I basically but I said it and uh, and you know Mark, this is one of those things where I'm putting myself at huge risk, but I'm putting the business first. And that's something we talked about before. And I knew I knew I was going to have problems down the road. But, you know, that was the only thing that was going to fix this car. So 
I said, you know, we're going to have to address that and da, da, da. So Jack Nasser says, well, how much is it going to cost to fix it? And it's like 25 million bucks to uh, get these dyes all refurbished and redone and all that. And he looks at uh, it was Dale McKeon at the time. He looked at Dale McKeon and says, I think you need to do it. Yeah. And Dale wow. said, gotcha, boss. So then I had a meeting with Dale McKeon and about a week later, he was not happy with me. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> and he ripped me, and I was a meeting with probably you know fifteen people in the room or whatever. And he really ripped into me, really big time. And it, as you may know, the guys that make that do manufacturing, they typically have uh, lively words to talk to you about. And uh, I'll bet. And yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty much uh, down to earth. The expletives and, were flying. Yeah, he was really kind of mad. He really worked me over the cold really, really bad. And uh, everybody in the room's kind of cowering down all that. Fine. Yeah. After the meeting, he grabs me and he says, thank you. He said, uh, <laughs> you, you had the gut. You had the gut to stand up and say it and get us yeah. to do it. And we needed to do it. And, uh, you know, he says, I thank you. And uh, that was that. What year would have that been, was that? What, what time frame? Oh, that's the Mustang. It's got to be 20 years ago. Yeah, because I remember, and a lot of us remember, the slogan, quality is job one. That was a slogan that Ford used for 17 years, and I believe it was the late 90s they dropped that and went to better ideas driven by you as their new marketing slogan. So I'm just, that's why I'm curious, what time period was that? I guess that's 20 years ago. So was that about the time? Yeah, probably 25 years ago, something like that. Um, Yeah. And uh, that's just one of those things where, you know, you do what's right. And, uh, you know, if you get killed for it, you know, so be it. Didn't seem to hurt me in the long run because then they moved me on to the racing program. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Get him out of here. He's causing too many problems. We'll send him to the racetrack where they like to spend a lot of money. Oh, man. Interesting story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, Let's go back in time a little bit. Now, you touched on car guy, not car guy, but uh, is there a story in your life, a pivotal moment you remember when you realized you really were a car guy? Probably started at General Motors Institute and I was an electronics guy and I'm working at uh, Delco Electronics, but I'm in a fraternity and this fraternity is, uh, and at the time I didn't even have a car. This is, um, I'm uh, 19 years old or something like that. I didn't have a car. So my parents had to come and get me and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I'm at this fraternity. And as I mentioned, all these fraternity guys, they've all got muscle cars. You know, I'd never been really that associated with muscle cars. But, oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, my roommate had a 63 409 four-speed dual quad. I got a guy across the street from me has got a Buick GS something or other. And then there's GTOs everywhere. And on Saturday mornings, the school would open up their chassis dyno. Anybody wants to come in and try to chassis dyno their vehicle, come on in, have at it. A lot of my friends had uh, early, real early 62 uh, Corvettes, 64 Corvettes in that. And, uh, you know, they're working on them in the parking lot. And uh, this was technical stuff is pretty interesting. So I think at that point, it kind of turned into a car nut. And because, uh, you know, that's, well, that's all they talked about. I mean, you sat there at lunch. And all they talked about is, uh, you know, what kind of brakes are on the, uh, the 62 bed and can I do this and can we do that? I mean, that's, they just, that's what the whole conversation and thought process was. And I yeah. did that for four years and, uh, pretty soon I'm like a car nut, you of know. Of course, you're immersed. Yeah, yeah I'm immersed. <laughs> you gotta be. How about a first special car for you? Is there a first car in your life that you went, you know what? This is pretty cool. 
Not really. I mean, I know this is strange, but I just, uh, I drove a lot of miles. I still do. I drive 50,000 miles a year in a car, but I go for comfort nowadays. I, I mean, uh, my first car was a 63 Chevrolet with a small block, and it was just like, I just kept it clean and nice, and uh, uh, then just got into uh, Ford, and then we had lease cars, so they were always, I, you know, I would get the Mustangs, I would get this and that, but, but I really never had the, the the personal oh my god car that everybody would drool over. I do have I do own a '96 Mustang Cobra Mystic paint job. I got that in the garage. It's got 1,800 miles on it. And I bought it as an investment more so than anything else. And uh, so, but but you know, but the thing is, Mark, and I, and I saw your question about it. The thing is, when you got a job that puts you in all these cars. You know, I mean, like at Miller Motorsports Park, I mean, we we had a fleet of Mustangs we developed for their racing school. So, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in these cars all the time. When I first got out there, Larry Miller's like begged me to get in his 427 Cobra. I mean, a legitimate 427 Cobra. Oh, you got to drive it. You got to drive it. You know, I'm like, I don't want to drive it. And he's like, oh, no, no, you got to drive it. So I drove the car just to make him happy. I mean, the thing was just yeah. a bear drive. Oh, I yeah. They're a beast. Scary cars. Scary. And so, I mean, here I am. I'm running racing or even before that, uh, I go to I go to the Barnard School. I do all this stuff. And so I didn't have a personal vehicle. I had everybody else's vehicle to go beat on. Well, sometimes that's the better thing is to have other people's cars to beat on, as you say. So I think you were in the catbird seat. Here's a little bit of introspective question for you, Dan. I want to get into your head a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and Dan was a car, not what you want to be. But how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would you be? I don't know. I, I mean, I saw that question and it's like, I, I mean, if you go back to the Benetton days in Formula One, here's a really high tech, really, really neat vehicle. So that would be like the ultimate. But I don't, I'm not a, I don't, I don't drive. I wouldn't be that vehicle, I don't think. And over the years, I mean, and, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about the boy racer that I developed when I was at Ford Racing. That was sort of my personality. Then that would, that boy racer, or then that led to what we called the man racer. They were both Mustangs. But I guess my person, I guess my personality would, and, and it would lead itself toward the man racer, which was, uh, okay. basically, it was almost a Trans Am, the old Trans Am level vehicle. Uh, uh-huh. and to me, uh, that kind of personified, you know, the ultimate vehicle that I wanted to produce and sell to uh, to racers. And that's probably the vehicle. Okay, there we go. I got you there. I thought I would. <laughs> I know it's a it's a it's a funny question, but uh, when I get people kind of talking about it and thinking about it, they eventually come up with something. Something. With something. So the man racer Mustang. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to, if you want to know more about it, but it was a really fun project. Well, yeah, tell us real quick about the Man Racer Mustang. All right. Well, let me start with the, with the Boy Racer. Uh, the Boy, I went to a lot of these club events. I went to a lot of uh, IMSA races and saw these Porsches running around that people were spending a lot of money on. And I can remember sitting with Don Panos in, in, uh, at Road Atlanta, and it's raining like crazy outside. And Don and I are in, uh, we can see the track. And here's all, and it's a Porsche day. And here's all these Porsches out there in the rain running off the track and running into each other and all that kind of stuff and destroying these magnificent cars. I'm like, this is nuts. They should be in Mustang. We got a program together that said, okay, we want to develop a Mustang that people can race, they can buy. And uh, it would be in the GS series and so forth. So we went, on, went about doing that, worked with the 
the Flat Rock plant to the point, Mark, where I was able to buy Mustang bodies in white off the assembly line. I could buy those. I worked with Mullinatic in Canada to put these uh, these racing race cars together. So basically, when we got all done, I could get all the all the parts I needed out of the Flat Rock plant. All the bodies are white. Sent them up to to Markham, and they put their race car together. And so we did this program, and we sold four race cars just before the 24-hour race at Daytona. These cars weren't in that race, but it was that weekend. I sold four cars in the GS series, and four of them were to to uh, customers that bought the car. They came in on a Thursday. They raced them on Saturday, and one of those guys won the race with that Mustang. Wow. So that was the boy racer. Um, yeah. It was developed. I mean, we worked really hard. It was developed properly. It was the balance was good. Motors good. Five liter engine. Everything was good. So after that, I said, you know what? I want to go up and get into the GT category with the Mustang. So what we had to do was get some weight out of it. We put a, a big high rev five liter engine in it. We had uh, I had to put a sequential box in it and just a lot of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like a five to six hundred horsepower vehicle with slicks. And uh, we had actually had a carbon, uh, the, the Mustang was uh, the IRS there. Or it was, yeah, it was IRS. We, we ended up doing a um, carbon fiber differential for it and a bunch of stuff. And this car was so much fun to drive because it was just, it had all this power and all this balance and with big slicks, big brakes, big everything. It, nice. it was just a joy. Just a joy. Yeah. 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 We, we yeah, built this- a couple of them. This sounds a little reminiscent of some old guy named Carol Shelby taking white Mustangs off the line and doing special things to him. Well, I tell you what, he was my friend. You know, I'm so sad he's gone. You're right. Yeah. That's that's what he did. And uh, he had more, his cars predominantly, of course, are production cars. This was a pure yeah. race car. Pure race but the car. Same, yeah. The same concept. And uh, and Carol, what a, what a dear man he was. And uh, boy, uh, he I, I did a lot of work with Carol. And, uh, yeah. Well, lucky yeah. you. Legacy. Iconic yeah. man. All right. Well, listen, Dan, we are entering what I call the last lap, kind of a lightning round. So uh, I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that man racer GT Mustang throttle. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love it. I'm going to look that up and learn a little bit more about that. So here we go. Actually, when when you and I are together at LeMay on uh, Friday, February 7th, uh, the day before uh, Andy Collins event, uh, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. So we'll have some fun at that event. Okay, here we go. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Sure. A-type personality that's like, go, go, go. I I just can't sit still. (laughs) There you go. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? You know, I looked at this question. I've been so fortunate to to actually have that drink with so many people. And so I went back to think, who is it that that I'd like to have the second drink with? There are two people, and I, I know you said one, but I got a couple. One is Robert Yates. Robert Yates, I just enjoyed that guy so much. And uh, I wish now that I'd spent more time with him and probed him more because he had so much to offer. He would be one of them. And uh, the other one's Bill France Jr. Bill France Jr. was so good to me. I mean, when I first started the racing program, I'll never forget uh, race number two. Daytona 500 was the first race, but race number two, I'm at uh, one of the tracks. I forget what it was. I think it was Rockingham or something like that. And I get the message, Mr. France wants to see you in the red trailer. 
And I thought to myself, I don't trailer. know, if you, Mark, I don't know if you know about the red trailer, but good things don't <laughs> normally happen in the red trailer. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, that's where you get, that's where the guys that were bad boys on the track, they'd come to the red trailer after the race. So I'm asked to come oh, to the okay. red trailer two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. Mr. France wants to talk to you. Well, he spent two and a half hours with me one-on-one taught me about the business, what's important, this and that. I mean, what wow. an education. It doesn't get any better than that. I spent a lot of time with him after that, but, but you know what, Mark? I just wish I had spent more time with him because this guy just, he got it. And, uh, yeah. wow. you know, you just learn from the guy. Anyway, it's a lightning <laughs> the round. The red so. trailer. You're, you're the only guy who had a good time in the red trailer. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool. Well, it, you know, and that story is a testament to, if you have people in your life uh, that are important and you can learn things from, make sure you spend time with them. You know what? There's a great lesson right there in that one. How about automotive advice? What's the best automotive advice you've ever received from someone else? I thought about that one a little bit. I was worried, and this kind of ties back into this put your company first before yourself. I, I was working on, uh, in the ignition department at the electronics division. We were asked to work on an, an ignition program for Ford of Europe, and it turns out there was a competing project between the engine control guys in, in the same building and the ignition guys, which is myself, in the same building. And Ford of Europe was really pushing for what I was working on because it was more cost-effective, what they really wanted. And But the division was pushing the electronic side one. And so there was this big conflict going on internal to the to the division, and I'm just off doing my job. I'm doing this uh, thick film uh, uh, electronic engine or uh, uh, ignition control and EGR control, bunch of stuff. I'm doing that. I'm kind of just full bore ahead. Never knew that there was such a brouhaha going on at the upper levels of the division. And eventually, the assistant chief engineer calls me into his office and says, "You know, you're putting your career at risk here." I go, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, you know, you're pushing something and it's the right thing to do and it's the right thing for the customer and da, 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 da. But you're really making enemies in this other area. And he says, you're just, you're just, um, you know, your career's at risk. We'll see how this works out. And I thought, wow, that kind of advice is kind of tough. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. It's kind of tough. And I said, well, you know, should I do something different? He goes, nope. <laughs> Keep it up. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it up. You know, it, it goes up. back to your story with the uh, body stamping. I mean, yeah. holy cow. There's a up. lot of mixed there's a lot of mixed messages going on here. Well, there oh are. my gosh. Yeah. How do you yeah. sleep at night? <laughs> I didn't have a problem, Mark, because it's like I'm doing I'm not doing this for me. You know what? If yeah. they if my supervision at the time thought that I was doing something wrong, someone would have slowed me down. But uh yeah. you know, yeah. but they did it. So and eventually, eventually, the the project I was working on got sold, and uh, and off we went. So off you went. There you go. How about a resource? Is there a go to that you tend to like these days? Maybe it's a website you visit frequently, uh, an app you use. I don't know something that's a go to for you on a regular basis. No, I mean I use the internet constantly to research anything you would think of. You know, I mean it can be like uh, what vitamins are good for you, or what's good for blood pressure, or you know, what kind of cars are coming out? I'm real interested in the, uh, in the new F-150 hybrid coming out. Uh, so uh-huh. I search on that all the time trying to, I don't have anybody that Ford will tell me what's going on anymore. So. Of course uh, not. You're outside yeah, now. I'm an outsider. Yeah. You know, I might, I might risk my retirement and tell somebody important what's happening. But anyway, uh, <laughs> well, so I mean, go. I do a lot of, uh, 
a lot of research on that. I do a lot of research on it. Uh, you know what? What's Tesla doing nowadays? What's the, you know those kind of things all yeah. through the internet? And there's a lot of information yeah. if you want to work at it. So, oh um, gosh, it's yeah. it's uh, overwhelming, isn't it? How about a book? Is there a book you've read recently uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know what? I don't read them. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have time to read books. I know that sounds nuts, but uh, I cannot, Mark. I can't tell you the last time I read a book. I mean, it's wow. You're yeah. a busy guy. Yeah. yeah. There you I, go. Well, I'll give you a little tip, Dan, because since I know you're, you are busy and you're moving around and traveling, if you do enjoy learning from books, try an Audible book. Uh, you know, my wife listens to like two or three a week. I think it's because she don't want to listen to me, so she's got earbuds in her ears all the time. Uh, but she loves books. She used to read two, three books a week. Now she listens to them so she can do other things like exercise and so forth. But uh, you might give that a try and find a resource. All right, Dan, we are up to what I call the checkered flag here. Last question. I'm going to buy you a very cool collector car today. doesn't matter what it is or who owns it. I'm going to park it in your garage, but there's some rules to my game since I'm writing the check. One is you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed around here. But here's the kicker. It's the only cool collector car you can have. So that Cobra you do have, you'll have to let go unless that's the car you want to keep, which is fine with me. It means I don't have to buy anything. What? Would the car be? I'll tell you what. The uh, it would be a Shelby. I have no problem selling this car. I have in the garage. I mean, if somebody, if one of your listeners wants it, I'm ready to sell it. It's got 1,800 okay, miles on go. it. Yeah, it's got it's one of 2,000. It's the Mystic Paint job, but it's just it doesn't have enough motor. It doesn't have enough weak brakes. It doesn't have enough uh, uh, tire. Blah blah blah. Okay, so you weren't ever in car sales, I can tell right now. That's no, not the not way you sell a car. <laughs> no, 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 that's not it. No, this, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, <laughs> my Gary Patterson is still a good friend of mine at Shelby, and I think the Super Snake that he's doing, um, you know, which is like just an incredible amount of horsepower balance. I'd I'd want a a, a Mustang Super Cobra, I guess they call him Super Snake with the. Yeah. It's a great big, huge supercharger on it and all that. I I park that in the garage and run around with it every you know every nice Saturday or something like that, and I'd be very happy with it. <laughs> well, I think that'd be pretty cool. I, yeah, yeah, I know the car you're talking about. They're building some some pretty cool stuff down there. So yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So, do you have a, a favorite color that might work for you on that car? No, I don't. I mean, I'm seeing that he's got these uh, big, you know. Orangish ones and some, I guess some green ones and this and that. And yeah, I would probably yep. end up with a black one, you know, with a stripe. Black one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, for our listeners, uh, if you missed my talk with Gary Patterson, he was a guest number 804. Dan today is guest number 1480. You can go back and find my talk with Gary on, uh, the Cars yeah website. Uh, talk to him back in June of 2017. God, I can't believe it's been that long. I got to get him back on the show. He's an awesome guy. He is awesome. Yeah, he's he's great. Uh, it just, yeah, incredible operation there. Dan, you've taken me on a great ride today. This has been a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you uh, this coming Friday night at LeMay Museum as part of the Armadillo Racing Seminar Series. We're going to have a nice little evening together before you speak the next day. And I'll remind our listeners, if you want to listen to Dan speak, it's not too late. You can sign up. Uh, this is an event. It's the 25th annual Armadillo Racing Seminar. This takes place February 8th. Go to armadilloracing.com to sign up. It's in Tacoma, Washington. There's some, going to be some great speakers here that have been on the show just recently uh, that you don't want to miss. Uh, Dan, is there a way for people to keep up with you these days? Do you have such thing as a website or social media? Or are you 
You're just flying incognito, consulting with people. I am incognito, Mark. I'll tell you what, when I was running Ford Racing, my cell phone number was a secret. And uh, because, you know, and people knew how to get a hold of me because every dad and everybody wanted something from me. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I just went incognito. I still do. And uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've been lucky enough to talk to you, and now all the Cars Out listeners have been lucky enough to listen to you. This has been really great. We'll just keep everything as how to get a hold of Dan in secret, so don't even bother him. He's too busy in okay. retirement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Dan, thanks for a really fun talk. This has been great. Thanks for sharing your experiences, your expertise, an amazing life that still continues this day. And I want to thank your uh, your girlfriend for connecting us. We had some phone technicalities today, but she came through with her iPhone, but we're not going to start that debate. Not no. today. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Until you and I talk again, and I see you this Friday night, I'll see you, Dan, down the road. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I look forward to it. This has been great fun. Thank you. Hey, Cars Yow listeners. This is Mark Green. If you love the Cars Yow podcast, I have something new for you. I've teamed up with Keith Martin, a collector car market expert and the editor of Sports Car Market Magazine to create the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast. Buy, Sell, Hold is the essence of collecting. Together, we take you on an educational ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so you know when to buy, sell, hold. We talk with seasoned experts, who buy, sell, and hold investment vehicles, and they'll share their insider secrets on how they make their buying decisions when it comes to making these important investments. You'll find the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast on the Cars Yow website, on the Sports Car Market website, and if you're a podcast app subscriber to Cars Yow, Buy, Sell, Hold will come right to your mobile device, just like the Cars Yow podcast, automatically. Join Keith Martin and me on a great new venture on the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.